0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 73 called Monique. Guys, before we get started, I wanted to tell you that I was just on the Fertility Rally feed, which is part of our community at Fertility Rally where people can post things, ask questions, give each other advice, give each other support. We have almost 150 members now and We're so excited about this amazing community that is growing and building and we would love for you to be a part of it. So if you need some extra support, if you're looking for your people, we might be your people. So check out fertilityrally.com. In addition to the community, we've got so much other content. We've got videos and podcasts and events, weekly support group every Wednesday night, which has been incredible, themed events to so many blog posts expert advice etc etc so Blair and I have built a place that we really think has everything under one roof so check it out at fertilityrally.com and let me know if you have any questions we hope to see you there So speaking of Fertility Rally, my next guest is a Fertility Rally member. Her name is Monique Farouk, and she's incredible. We met through, you know, this amazing social media community on Instagram. We had her on one of our Fertility Rally virtual events about infertility and women of color. And she's got a podcast called Infertility and Me. And today she's going to tell us her story about having her son, So it started out with some tubal blockage and unsuccessful IUI. She's going to talk about experiencing prejudice at the fertility clinic, which is complete bullshit and needs to stop. She is going to tell us about her terrible two week wait, what happened when she finally did become pregnant, and then her pretty traumatic birth story. So her son is okay now, spoiler alert. But she's just incredible, Monique. I really love and adore you, as you know. So I want to thank her for sharing her story. And without further ado, this is Monique's infertility story. Thank you again for doing this. I'm so glad I got to meet you recently at our fertility rally event virtually. Yes, pleasure. That was wonderful. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. But let's start at the beginning with you. So tell me about growing up. Did you always want to be a mom?
1: You know, I didn't as a kid and as an adolescent, even as a teenager, I never pictured myself with a baby on my shoulders, you know, or being pregnant. I didn't, I didn't start visualizing it until probably like going into my mid twenties. And I was like, maybe I do want kids, you know? And I was on birth control from like late teens all the way up until a year and a half before I met my husband. So I did everything to prevent it. And I just didn't, I didn't see myself as being a mom. I really didn't. And mm-hmm. it's so funny because like I I would, I would do it all over again. You know what I mean? So yeah, I just, I, I never saw myself as a mom. I was kind of like selfish in that way because I was like, you know, I just want to do what I want to do and, and mm-hmm. keep, Maybe make a couple dollars along the way, you know? <laughs> right. And but, where did you grow up? So I grew up in a town called Howard County. Actually, it's called Elk Ridge, but it's in Howard County, Maryland. Okay. And it's like maybe 20 minutes away from Baltimore and about 45 to an hour from DC. So we're like in central Maryland, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. But that's where I grew up from 10 until I left home at 23. So <laughs> my parents still live there. They still have their home that I grew up in there. And my husband and I live about thirty minutes from my parents south. Going oh,
0: that's nice to be that. So we're close. Still really
1: close. Yep, yeah, we're still really, really close. Yeah. So, how did you and the hubby meet? So we met in my hometown in Howard County. Um, he approached me. I was out one day, and it was like a wrap from there. It was like no special love story. <laughs> it was, you know, it wasn't all eventful and. You know, I hear some really incredible stories about how people meet, like they met because she was a nurse and he was at the hospital. She was caring for a man, you know, things like it wasn't right. like that. It was like very casual, very natural and very easy. And I really appreciated that part about our relationship because everything was just so, so natural. And it just, mm-hmm. it just, it all came together. Just mm-hmm just the way we both wanted and we both visualized. And so it was um, us coming together. It was like kindred spirits.
0: How long before you guys decided you were going to spend the rest of your lives together?
1: So probably about six months in, you know, and we did have a little bit of a break um, during the time, the 23 months that we were together, because I had actually gotten married very early and I was married for about barely over a year And so when I met my husband, I actually had been, I had left the first husband six months prior. Mm -hmm. And so when I met hubby, I wasn't divorced completely yet. I was still in the separation part. And in Maryland, you have to wait a year before Mm -hmm. you can, before you can get your finalized of divorce and everything. So in the middle of the first year, we kind of felt like it was the right fit. You know, we had a lot of the same goals. We had a lot of the same characteristics. We just had a lot in common, a lot, a lot. We're very different, but we had so much in common. So yeah um, we took a break. I got the the first divorce finalized during that break, and then we got back together and then a year and a half later we got married. so it was like a total of twenty three months
0: okay And when did the having kids come into the conversation?
1: Was it before you got married, or did you oh, know yeah. like his goals in terms of family as well? Oh yeah, he definitely wanted children and that was something we discussed prior to marriage and I was fine with that at that point I was like yeah maybe I do want a baby might be a little cute baby too so <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're pretty cute so. yeah you're kind of cute so I'm gonna, yeah. yeah maybe that'd be nice right so yeah so before we got married we, we knew we would have at least one ideal we wanted two and if he was real extra nice to me I might give him three that was the, <laughs> that was always our running joke <laughs> right I love it I yeah, love it. We, we definitely did know going into the marriage that we wanted children. Yeah. yeah. So what? tell
0: me what happened when you guys started to try.
1: We, I see, I had been off of birth control over a year after we got married. And the first two years, we just kind of spent just enjoying each other and all that good stuff. And then after the two-year mark, we started talking about maybe it was time to try. I was about 29, 28 at the time, and... It just never happened, and it was it was so crazy because in total, we had been together for four years, mm-hmm. and, and I had never been pregnant before, and even with my first husband, i was on a I wasn't on birth control either with him, mm-hmm. and um I had gave myself a break and so I just never had been pregnant, and so I was starting to think that something was wrong that maybe something with the birth control happened, it was messing with my hormones and stuff so after two years, I was like we got serious and we're like, okay, we're going to start trying. So we did for a whole year and nothing happened. And Mm -hmm. that's when I went to go see a fertility specialist for the first time. So I was about 29 years old back then.
0: How did you feel like that year that it wasn't happening? Like what what kind of toll did it take on you emotionally?
1: I was just like, what the F is going on? This Mm -hmm. is crazy. Is it me? Is it him? He had never had any kids. So it was like, what? The flip is going on. And he was in a very long-term relationship before he met me. So and he told me that they that she had been pregnant and that she had miscarried. But, you know, I wasn't there. So I don't know. I was like, maybe he was lying. I don't know. Mm. You know. (laughs) And and it was just so weird because I was like, something, I don't know. I just had this intuitive thing going on where I felt like it was me, even though I had doubts maybe it was him you know maybe you know maybe something in his genes he didn't know about because he's not very close to his family so Mm -hmm. all of their history and and things like that so it was just we were just going back and forth well maybe it's you or maybe it's me or maybe it's both of us you know and it wasn't like we were doing it in a dashing kind of way like no it's you it's you no we weren't right (laughs) yeah but we were just flipping ideas back and forth you know we just didn't know we just didn't know it was like the strangest feeling of yeah. having that diagnosis. And I hate the fact that we had that we have to wait so long before a specialist will essentially see us.
0: Right. So do they give you the 35.
1: line. Yeah. Did they give you the
0: spiel like you can't, you know, try mm-hmm. for a year before you come in? Yep. I feel yep. like that's such bullshit. Like people like, should absolutely. You know, absolutely. like it's i get it like with the doctors cuz they just kind of give you this blanket statement but everybody's so different and it really sometimes you really just need to get in there right away and figure out what's going on you know yeah. i feel like as women sometimes we know that there's a problem and to have to wait is like torture
1: mm-hmm. and it's so funny because even like your obgyn he or she won't give you a referral for a specialist Right. To even get tested, or they won't refer you to a radiologist if it hasn't been six months to a year. You know, depending right. on your age, like you can't even do anything. Like, like I got to pay all this money to see a radiologist if I don't have a referral, and then maybe the radiologist won't even see me without the referral. You right? Know, it's, it's so crazy, and I feel like, I feel like if a woman has never been pregnant before, especially if you've never been pregnant before, we should be able to get seen just as fast, six mm-hmm. months, period, and go from there. Because yeah. You know, there's medical issues that could that need to be treated a lot of the time. So, Completely.
0: definitely. So, what happened when you guys finally did go in to see somebody? Did they were they able to diagnose something right away, or what did they say?
1: So, I, I had the full workup of the blood work. He had a sperm analysis, and then I had the HSG, and the HSG revealed right tubal blockage for me. And mm-hmm. he was okay. He he was fine. He didn't have any issues. And so, it was right tubal blockage for me. And we had an IUI and it was unsuccessful. And I never went back to that particular RE. Why? Were you just not happy with the treatment? That was actually the RE clinic that I had told you guys about before mm-hmm. where I had the issue with the receptionist and, and the nurses and the doctor.
0: Oh, yeah. Can you uh, tell me prejudices. that story again? Yeah. So we talked about this on mm-hmm. our Women of Color and Infertility event at Fertility Rally, which you and Nichelle Sublet were on, which was so awesome. Can you just please, for people that maybe didn't hear it, you know, tell that story again, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah. So my first RE clinic, it's very small and it wasn't a franchise company, like a Shady Grove type of thing. They didn't have, they had a couple of locations in surrounding areas, but it was a very, very, very small clinic, very private, very small town. And it wasn't a whole lot of foot traffic in there. And so I went in and I just didn't feel welcome at all. Like there was, and I watched, and the reason I had to make it very clear when we did the live is that I didn't want people to think that I was like just making stuff up, you know? And when something like that happens to you, it's not something that you forget about. You remember it and you remember it very vividly. Completely, yeah. And because I actually had somebody come to me and DM and like, there's no way you remember that from four five, six years ago. Yes, I do. I definitely do. <laughs> what? Know? I don't even understand that. Like, of but course you would. Are crazy sometimes, you know, and then with all that's going on, it, it people are saying things and doing things that they probably normally wouldn't do. But yeah, so I'm in the clinic. I. Um, I'm, in the middle of work and everything too. So I'm like, I'm fully dressed. I'm looking good. i smelling good. All this stuff, you know, looking presentable. Like I had a couple of dollars I could spend in there, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking I'm okay. So I go in and I'm not thinking about anything, you know, on the, on the terms of prejudices and racism. So I go in, I'm smiling at the lady at the receptionist and she's like, trying to like shush me away. Like she's not even, she wasn't welcoming and she didn't want to look me in my eyes and she didn't. She like, it was just, it was so incredibly uh. weird, but so common at the same time. It's, it's like really ridiculous. And, and I, and I knew I wasn't going crazy because like I told everyone in the event that when another lady came in after me, a Caucasian lady came in after me, her whole face lit up. It was a completely different experience for that woman and her husband. It's and the same thing. Yeah. And the same thing with the nurses when they came out to get her and, and all that. And so you know, everybody in there is just like nobody wanted me there. You know what I mean? And it was, it was just yeah, it was so weird. And I was like, you know what? I don't even know if I want to do this because if I go to another cl- clinic and they treat me like this, forget about it. We just won't yeah.
0: It. Well, it's so interesting that you say that because obviously this is a very common thing, and we need to be better as a society. It's ridiculous that that happens. And yesterday I was interviewing. Do you know Michelle Buteau, the comedian no, and actress? So she was telling me, she went through several rounds of IVF2 and she was telling me the same, that when she went into the clinic, you know, not only would they, like, she asked the doctor who was white some, you know, question and he was like, I don't like your tone and like snapped back at her. Mm. And then she said when she would go out to pay they would always ask her for her credit card, like right away, like as if she was going to like take off without paying or something. Wow! And then yeah. she's married to a white dude. And she said that when he would go to the appointments with her, they treated her totally differently.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah. I can believe that. Yeah, I definitely. I definitely can see that. I definitely, I've dealt with that with my husband being South Asian from Bangladesh mm-hmm. within the South Asian community. And being around people of the same descent or the same region as him treating me differently when he's around, when he's not around. So I, I totally, totally understand. Yeah. 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 I could see that really. That makes me issue. sick to my stomach, though. Yeah. It's just like, what yeah. the hell? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you just you keep it moving because at the end of the day, it's like, do I really want to give it that much energy in this moment? Because if I go off, if I... Right if I say something and they don't like it, or if I come off as too passionate, then I'm going to be looked at as, as this angry black woman. Right. In that way. But at the same time, it's like, you got to advocate for yourself. So I just never gave them any more of my money. And that was right. my way of dealing with the situation. Good for you. Yeah. You know, and I, and I found my tribe at another clinic, you know, Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, couldn't any, I couldn't have had a better experience. Truly.
0: Really. So really. tell me about the, the good clinic where they weren't a-holes.
1: Yeah. Right. So they <laughs> were like awesome. And it's They have like four different locations here in the DC metro area and I I love them to death and they have a very diverse staff and that was something that I was paying attention to the second time around Mm -hmm. that I didn't do in the first time I just wasn't thinking about it at all and so when I was on their website initially I saw that they had a very diverse staff from the doctors on down to receptionists and Mm -hmm. so that made me feel comfortable and it and I was like, you know what, this might be it. And when I went in, it was, you know, I was always treated with respect and everything. And everybody was always so nice and curt and, and caring and everything. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a really pleasant experience. And I definitely would go back if we decided to have a second one. I definitely, that would be like, there's no other place I'm going. <laughs> right, right.
0: So what did they start doing in terms of treatment and like protocol and stuff for you?
1: Since it had been four years since the IUI and then going back for a second clinic, it was 2012 the first time and the second time was 2016. Mm-hmm. And they, I had, of course, I had to do everything all over again because the time frame had been so long. And so the HSG revealed that the tubal blockage was gone, but my blood work revealed that I had hypothyroidism and the sonogram revealed that I had uterine polyps and I also mm-hmm. had cervical polyps. But the uterine polyps were something that they were more concerned about more than anything. And so I had to have those removed as well as be on a three-month treatment plan for levothyroxine to treat the hypothyroidism before we could get anything. So it was like Uh May. And then it was, let's see, I went to see her the end of April, beginning of May 2016. And it was July before I had my first egg retrieval.
0: Okay. So can you tell me about the retrieval process and like going on all the meds and stuff? How did your body react to that? Physically and mentally.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So I had a a less invasive form of IVF. I had what's called natural cycle or mild IVF, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have as many medications as everyone else has. So I had the estrogen, the progesterone, and then baby aspirin, and I had my trigger shots, and I had my hormone suppressing shot as well. But it was very, 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 very minimal compared to a lot of other women in the community. Very Mm -hmm. minimal. And it was only because. They offer it because one is cheaper. It's only about 15 grand for the whole cycle. Mm-hmm. And if you get your periods regularly and you don't have endometriosis or anything else like that, that can affect your periods. Now, hyperthyroidism can affect your period, but for me, it did not. And so mm-hmm. I was a candidate for the Nitro Cycle IVF, and I had good egg quality at the time as well. So the, all of those things made me a good candidate for it. And they only take one egg at a time. And which is another reason why I didn't have so many medications because I'm not producing so many follicles for more than one egg to be implanted back into the uterus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it was like really, really, really less invasive, but still very nerve wracking, still very, you know, I wasn't sad. I was hopeful and I didn't at this point because it had been so far in between between 2012 and 2016. I had done a lot of self-work in that 4-year period. Mm, like and what? So, like all types of things girl, like getting really deep with meditation and my mental health practices, as far as it's just exercising, getting those endorphins going, mm-hmm. um, I went pescatarian, then vegetarian, then vegan. By the time I had my first egg retrieval, I was completely vegan. And wow. Are you I had, still? I am not still, because when I was in my second trimester, he wanted meat. So yeah. I was eating steak. <laughs> you got not listen eating to steak your body. <laughs> Yes. I was eating steak and potatoes. Like the first trimester, oh, really? I couldn't stand the smell of meat. I couldn't stand the smell of it. Oh my gosh. It was terrible. But- During that four year period, I did a lot to just make my body strong. And I just wanted to be able to carry this baby because that's another issue with hypothyroidism that I didn't know at the time was that you can miscarry very, very easily Mm. uh, with hypothyroidism if it's not treated. And so I just wanted my body to be strong. And so I was doing everything. I was always a prayer kind of gal, and so I just upped my game and started researching and learning about meditation. It was something that I had never tried before, so I really Mm -hmm. got deeply, deeply into that. And then I got deep into mindfulness. And it wasn't like I was using affirmations to to tell my subconscious mind or to trick my subconscious mind into believing in my body, believing that you know I could get pregnant and I can hold this baby. It was more so just about about me wanting to keep my freaking sanity, period. Mm-hmm. Totally. It was more so that more than just having a baby, but I was going hard with the exercise. I probably exercised a little bit too hard. I was like going insane with exercise. <laughs> I'm talking six <laughs> days a week, Yeah. weight training and cardio. Like yeah. I was so tiny and so fit. It was just like, it was crazy. It was so yeah. crazy. But you know, when I went to came time for the egg retrieval, my doctor told me she didn't want me doing any of that. I wasn't allowed to do anything.
0: Right. Yeah, of course. Of course.
1: Yeah.
0: Guys, I want to tell you about these new customized vitamins I've been taking from a wellness brand called Care Of. You take a short online quiz and answer questions about your diet, your health goals, and your lifestyle, like how much sleep do you get? How often do you work out? Do you follow any specialty diets? Are you concerned about your hair, skin, and nail health? And I was like, not enough, not enough, not enough. And yes, definitely. And then about a week later, you get this package of vitamins and supplements delivered right to your door. And they have these little daily packs, which are super cute and easy to throw in your bag, travel with, and then they have this booklet that explains what you've been sent and what each pill does and why it's been sent to you. But my favorite thing that I've been using and I already ran out of them, so I need to get more, are these little quick sticks, they're called, of caffeine. So it's a powder that you pour into your mouth, and it tastes really good, and you don't need water. And you just swallow it right down, and you get this little caffeine jolt. Um, They also have really yummy protein powders that are made of wholesome ingredients like organic cocoa, pink Himalayan sea salt, and other really yummy good stuff. So that being said, Care Of is offering you guys, my listeners, 50% off your first order. So go to takecareof.com and enter the code infertileaf50. Again, it's 50% off first order. Go to takecareof.com and enter the code infertileaf50. Thank you. So what about your husband? How was he feeling through all of this?
1: You know, he, it took a, that was another reason why we waited four years too, because like he wanted to wait and wanted to see if we could continue to do it naturally and see if, you know, if something would happen, even because I had the good tube, I had the left good tube mm-hmm. and and it was, you know, that's enough to get pregnant and everything. So we just, we weren't really, we really honestly weren't ready to move forward with IVF mm-hmm. after that IUI and because we were young, we thought we still had time and we thought we could do it. And we just, we were so ambitious about trying to do it naturally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though he didn't have a diagnosis, it's like, well, I still can't get my wife pregnant. You know what I mean? So there was right. a lot of dealing with that. And I had to learn how to not be selfish and learn to also cater to him and reassure him that, you know, it's not like it's, he's like, you know, I know it's not your fault, but it's like, you know, it's still like, this is some bullshit. I can't, we, we can't get pregnant naturally. You know, so yeah. we still was dealing with that too. Did you yeah. guys have some hard conversations? Cause my, oh, I know my yeah. husband and I certainly did. Yeah. Some conversations where it's like, do I even really want to say that right now? Or right. should I say that? It's like almost walking on eggshells and it really tests your marriage. It yeah. Really tests, it really tests, it really shows you whether you truly have unconditional love for someone.
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah.
1: Do you mind if we talk a little
0: bit more about, you know, from our event the other night, you and Michelle did a great job of kind of helping us understand the core of what, you know, women of color go through with infertility and how culturally it's, it can be really tricky. You know, people don't want to talk about it. Can we touch on that a little bit
1: and let me know your feelings on, on that? Yeah, absolutely. Like I didn't know anyone who had suffered infertility except for one person. It was my aunt, And they chose not to move forward with IVF. You know, they Mm -hmm. had other goals financially that they wanted to achieve and that was more important. And so it wasn't until, let's see, I knew before, but I never really talked to her about it until I had my own journey. And even then I didn't really lean on her until like the year that I got pregnant with my son. Mm -hmm. So those three years prior, I didn't take advantage of her in that way. And we had different views about things too as well. So it was like, that was another reason I didn't go to her, even though I know she had struggled before to get pregnant with her husband and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was like just kind of silent suffering type of thing. And, you know, I, don't, and I always had this feeling like nobody was going to believe me if I told him, you know what I mean? And mm, so
0: why do you think that?
1: Because I've had concerns with doctors and concerns that I share with like family members and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they just brush it off and they be like, girl, you'd be fine. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and the doctor will say, let's just wait and see what happens. There's mm-hmm. no urgency for finding out what's really going on. Like I had a conversation with a young woman and she was complaining of all of this pain that she was feeling during her menses and even after her menses were over and no one took the time and took the urgency to have her checked thoroughly and, in the black community, everybody around me that I knew that I was close to had children.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My grandmother on my dad's side, she had seven children that she birthed naturally, and she had one miscarriage. She told me a long time ago. Mm-hmm. My, on my, my mom's side of the family, same thing four kids, one miscarriage. You know, it was, and I have cousins, crazy, crazy amounts of cousins on my dad's side. Mm-hmm. Everybody had at least two to three kids, if not more. Right. And so, like my, my one of my uncles, he's he's gone on now, but his first wife, they couldn't get pregnant naturally when they first got married. They adopted and they got pregnant right after that. Mm. So it was like stories like that that were happening where people were still getting through and still getting pregnant naturally. And so it just, infertility was never a part of my vocabulary. And it was not something that I knew a lot about prior to trying to conceive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was so... Even though I felt like there was something going on with me, I was so deathly afraid that I was going to be one one in eight.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you were know? you also afraid to even broach the topic with like your friends and family members because it was just like kind of taboo?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was nobody that could really – I felt like there was nobody that could relate to me. And my aunt yeah. who went through it, she lived in a completely different state. So. Right. Having a conversation on the phone was was nice and all like that. I just didn't take advantage of it. I didn't really think anybody would care because they would always say, Oh, y'all, y'all are young, y'all got time, you don't have right. to run shit, people are waiting longer. It was all of always those type of comments and things from people around us. And it just it was just so isolating to have this diagnosis for four years mm-hmm. and holding on to it. Because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't speak about it to anyone but my mother and my father at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and we hubby of course. So it was just right. like this so isolating and just walking around with this freaking skeleton in my closet, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Was that part of the... Re- so I want to talk about, obviously, what happened next in your journey and having your little guy. But I also want to talk about your podcast because mm-hmm. you've started, you know, you started this podcast, Infertility and Me, which is so amazing. And, you know, tell me about the impetus behind that? Was it because nobody was talking about it and you're trying to, to shatter those stigmas?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And originally the podcast was going to be called Infertility and Me, colon, The Brown Girl Experience. Because when I did the searches on podcasts, Apple Podcasts for infertility, I think Erica McAfee and then the Infertility Podcast came up and those were the two brown faces that I saw. Mm-hmm. And, but Erica McAfee's podcast deals a lot with loss, you yeah. know, and, and that's, and she does include infertility as well, but she deals a lot with loss and it's right. amazing. And I didn't see anybody that looked like me. And so yep. I had no problem listening to other people's podcasts. That was never the issue. It just wasn't being tackled in the same way by Brown women. It really right. wasn't. Yeah really, totally, it really wasn't. And so that was part of the inspiration behind Infertility Me. And because I come from such a diverse background in town where I grew up, you know, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just call it Infertility Me. That way anybody feels welcome, LGBTQ, anybody. Yes. And I didn't want to single out just brown-skinned women and Black women. I wanted to be true to who I am. And I am a diverse person. Right. I like diversity. I cherish it. And it's so important. And so that's why I just took off the, the brown girl experience part and just left the infertility. Yeah, there. yeah. When you see it, you don't know anything other than what it says. And this infertility is the main topic.
0: Right. And tell me, what kind of feedback have you gotten from people? I mean, I'm sure, you know, we both have podcasts, obviously. You know, I get amazing letters all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do, too. Can you tell me about some of the people that have reached out that are yes. listeners and that you've helped?
1: A lot of the listeners... That have contacted me have been contacting me on Instagram. Yeah, A lot of the emails I get are from people who want to come on. But mm-hmm. for, as far as listeners who are going through it, a lot of them will DM me from their personal Instagram pages because they don't have fertility pages. And so they will tell me that, oh my gosh, I just thank you for doing the work basically. And especially from brown women and they, a lot of them have told me, like I don't, I haven't found another podcast that's talking about it the way you do, and being a brown, black woman in America. And I've gotten a lot of South Asian women who are from regions like my husband, who have felt a connection to me because they don't have anybody in their community talking about it either, mm-hmm. and it's very taboo for that community as well, um, whether they live here or out of the country in a, in a different continent. And so it's been really every time I feel like I don't have an, any more to give somebody comes to me and, and it's like an angel comes to me and tell it's, it's, and they, they're giving me the extra push that I need to keep going because it's very mm-hmm. difficult having a toddler and still trying to do all the things in life and continue to run the podcast and giving myself in that way and then dealing with the loss of my business too at the same time the last eight weeks. So it's been, right all the angels have been coming to me lately. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's so crazy. So
0: yes. Yeah. Well, it's so great that you're just, you know, the diversity thing, I feel the same way with you. It's like, we're all in this together. So I love what you're doing and, but I'd love to go back to what was going on with you and your story. So tell me about where we were at, you know, chronologically. So you'd, you'd gone in doing kind of the, what, I don't know if it's the same as mini IVF, but
1: um, mm-hmm. yep, <laughs> IVF it's, the same Light, it's got yep. lots of different terms. Yep. <laughs> so.
0: so you're going through that. And then what happened?
1: And so in July, when we had our first egg retrieval, the egg and sperm didn't, there was no embryo. So it it didn't implant. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the sperm didn't, the egg didn't allow the sperm in guys. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm I'm all jumbled up today. The egg didn't want the sperm. So she said no. And then that was it. Um, yeah. They waited. To, they waited up until five days. They usually like to transfer on the fourth or third day because it was fresh. When you do many IVFs, they don't do fresh and they do fresh. Um, gotcha. Fresh transfers. And but the second one was the one, and the two week wait was freaking terrible. You know. Yes. <laughs> How did you get through the two week wait? What was your? What were your? Oh, I, I did everything. I, I. You know what? I said. You know what? I'm going to treat this two week wait like. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm going to, t- I, I told myself I'm going to treat the two week wait. Like this is my last two weeks and I'm getting ready to go to jail. <laughs> I'm serious because I said, you know what, if this is going to, if this has worked and this, and the egg has implanted in my ears and I have a little baby, a little fetus growing here, a little embryo, then I'm going to freaking live it up. And that's what I did. And I, and I, and I, I connected with some people that I hadn't seen in a long time and had some fun. Uh-huh. And um, at this point I had stopped working. So I was just out there living my best freaking life those two weeks. And that was the way I coped with it. And I came home. I didn't watch anything depressing. I didn't watch any baby stories. I used to like to watch TLC and watch baby stories. Oh my God. I didn't do any of that. I just watched comedies, you know, things to divert my attention.
0: Right, right. Are you like an early tester at all or did you wait?
1: No, I waited. I was terrified. Same. No, it's I like, I feel like, like either
0: there's, there's two camps, right? There's like the early testers mm-hmm. and the the people that wait. And I was the one of the people <laughs> that waited. I couldn't, I was like, after all this freaking waiting and all these doing everything by the book, I don't want to like go off script and like test on my own. Cause I was terrified that it would be positive, but like a false positive or negative okay. and a fault or a false negative. So I just like waited to go into the doctor after the two weeks. I waited. Torture. Everybody
1: couldn't believe it. They couldn't. Yeah. It. They was like, girl, why don't you just go ahead and test? But the thing was too that also gave me comfort during that two-week wait is that last week, because I got my beta test done on a Friday morning, and that Tuesday, a couple days before Friday, I should have gotten my cycle. My menses should mm-hmm. have started. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. And so I said, Well, maybe there's something growing in there. I still had my doubts even though the proof was in the pudding because I had never missed a period before. It was the first time in 32 years I had missed a period. And when I got that beta done and, and then they called me right before they closed, Maybe wait all freaking day. And oh my God, and that's the worst. Like, yes. Oh my gosh. And this was like, she was whispering because there were other patients still in the, in the clinic. And she was like, oh my God, it's 786. I still remember the number. It uh. was like, I was speechless. I really was. Yeah. I was speechless. I didn't have any words. I had like just woken up from a nap. So I was like kind of groggy and I was like feeling like this was like in a dream or something. Right. But it was just, it was the single best day of my life. One of the best days. Oh, I love that. I love
0: that. If you don't mind, can we talk about just the pregnancy really quickly? Mm -hmm. And then I know you had, you've talked about how you had a traumatic birth. I don't know if you want to get into that at all. I don't want to like stir up anything, but if yeah, you, we can talk if you about want to it. Go there. Yeah, for sure. And then I, I also want to touch on like, do you have any like PTSD from all of this? Because I certainly still do, and I'm just curious mm. if that's how common that is.
1: Yeah. So for the pregnancy, it was such a nice pregnancy, and every symptom that I needed to keep me comforted that the baby was still growing, I had it. I had every symptom, you guys. Mm-hmm. I lost 15 pounds my first trimester. Mm-hmm i was so freaking small it was, i was smaller than i was before i got pregnant mm-hmm. and then i had it was like 6 weeks came and i started nausea started out of nowhere and before that up until 6 weeks i just had like really sensitive breasts as if it was premenstrual symptoms mm-hmm. and it was like clockwork every every milestone i would get a new symptom it was so funny and mm-hmm. the nausea i was it was terrible <laughs> We have certain smells, and oh yeah, oh my gosh, it's terrible to go through, but it just gave me so much comfort. I was like, Lord, please, just give me a sign, mm-hmm. and so I got nausea, you know, for up until thirteen weeks, and um, after that, it was just it just and he made me so beautiful, like I was so pretty when I was pregnant, and yeah, um, I bet, oh my gosh, because you know sometimes. The babies take so much from moms and their bodies change and they get acne. Yes. Know? And I didn't have any of that. It was just so, such a beautiful pregnancy. And, and I love one-
0: that you own that too. And you say,
1: that. That's, <laughs> no, that's so awesome that you say that, you know? Yeah. And, and I just, oh my God, I think about it all the time because- he was born early and I feel gypped a little bit, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I did. I definitely feel gypped. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I always tell my daughter that she stole, you know, daughter steal your beauty. I was like, I was so much prettier before I became your mom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's now so I crazy. look like a hag. Oh no, no, not at all. <laughs> Far from it. Far no, from I'm not it. fishing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was like, it was just such a nice pregnancy and, The flutters began at 16 weeks, right on time, and um, unfortunately, hubby never got to feel any of the kicks when I got into like 22, 23 weeks, where they really just start kicking and everything, because I did have him so early. Mm. And when I was 24 weeks, and I was actually in the hospital for a week before I gave birth to him, Mm -hmm. I went in at 23 weeks, five days, Mm -hmm. uh, premature labor on a Friday night, and Mm -hmm. the next Friday. January the 20th is when I went into labor in the evening, about five thirty-five 35. Okay. Ish. So, and how many weeks so long were you at that point? 24
0: 4. Okay. Were you freaking out?
1: I was in, I was at Washington Hospital Center in DC. They had me in the labor and delivery unit for a week. The first two days was very like, it was so, uh, just thinking about it, it's like watching a movie because it was so freaking uncomfortable the beds in the freaking delivery, labor and delivery area have no cushion. It's just like this freaking mattress, sanitary mattress, just enough for you to lay on. Mm -hmm. And I'm hooked up to all this stuff. The baby monitoring machine as if I'm getting ready to go into labor at any moment. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't active labor, but they were able to stop it. And so just monitoring him and every time he didn't kick or something was wrong with the machine and the heart rate wasn't coming up. I was freaking out. My husband didn't leave my side. You know, he's still trying to run his business. And my parents and stuff, my sister coming down to check on me and everything, my brother-in-law. And the night that I went, into premature labor. I was still home by myself because we were in the restaurant business. And so hubby hadn't been home yet. It was around 11 o'clock ish. He didn't close till 12 AM. And so he wouldn't get home until uh, 12, 31 Mm o'clock. So I was still at home by myself. And I went to the bathroom. I was laying on the couch with the dog, watching movies, go to the bathroom and I'm urinating. And then after I finish urinating, this gush of blood comes out, freaking out freaking out. I'm shaking, yeah. trying to call my husband, and let him know what happened, and also trying to get him off the phone so I could call 911 just in case. But I ended up being able to get myself to the hospital. I put the I put my pad on. I wasn't in any pain luckily, which was really how I got to the to the hospital alone because I wasn't in any pain. I was just bleeding. Yeah. And so I get to the hospital and luckily the hospital where I went to was five minutes within walking distance of oh, wow. the restaurant. It was just so wild how everything happened. And so he rushed over, closed up early, rushed over and everything. And they just had me hooked up on these monitors and the doctor didn't want to put any fingers in me to test where, how much I was dilated. And so They kind of just peeked in and looked, and they told me I might have been two to three centimeters dilated. Mm -hmm. But later on, we found out I was only one. And so they had to transport me to Washington Hospital Center in D.C. because that hospital wasn't level four. And if the baby had have come, they didn't have the clearance uh, medically to take care of a baby that young.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: So I had to be transported to Washington, D.C. to be cared for. And mm-hmm. it's right, the hospital I was at is right next to Children's Hospital mm-hmm. um, in, in DC. And so they took really good care of me there, but it was just so nerve wracking. I couldn't brush my teeth for two days. I'm like, oh my God, try not to talk to anybody. Right. Freaking dragging breath all over the place, man. <laughs> you can't bathe. I couldn't bathe, you know. Give me those alcohols. I couldn't outdoors. do anything. Oh my gosh. And I couldn't drink water for oh. you know, the first 24 hours. I had to right. and suck on ice. That was sucked. And it's just waiting. But after the two days was up, then they transferred me to where the mothers go after they have babies. And they said, we're just going to keep you here. And I kept asking the doctors, how long am I going to be here? Am I going to be able to go home on bed rest? And they're like, no, you're not going anywhere. Just mm. get over it. So, you know, quite quite possibly I would have been in there for the last four months of my pregnancy. Wow. But he, he, he couldn't wait. He had to get out and come out and meet us. And so.
0: Okay. Yeah, so wh- when was he earlier. born? Like how far
1: along were you then? Or how long were you? Yes, I was in the, the hospital. I went in on a Friday at 23 weeks, four days, and I had birth. I gave birth to him exactly this, the next Friday. Okay, okay. So it was a seven day period at wow. 24 weeks, four days, so and that was straight. actually inaugural Friday when President Schwab was put in the office when I gave birth. Oh wow! So it did he go crazy. straight to the NICU? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And how long, yeah, long was I had you there? Four months, 129 oh my days. God, yeah, 129 days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How did you yeah. deal with that? I cried all the time. Infertility yeah. made me a big crier. And when I gave birth to him like that, I was even more of a cry baby. Yeah, I just cried all the time. I would, I would, I remember going down into getting lunch and things like that, going to see him and I would go in the bathroom. They didn't have bathrooms for the parents in the NICU. You had to go outside of the NICU to get, to go to the bathroom. we yeah. were very, very strict about things like that. And so I remember leaving to go home to get some rest. And I just went to that bathroom. I had to pump a little bit and I was engorged and everything. And I just was crying. You know, it yeah. was just always moments like that crying. The first couple of days when I was still in the hospital with him, recovering from the C-section, I just, I couldn't look at him without crying. And the nurses would be trying to hug me and comfort me and stuff. And it just, just to see him so small and so oh, fragile. Yes. I was just going to say,
0: he must've been so tiny.
1: 12 inches long, oh. 1.9 pounds. Oh my yeah. gosh so, so little. And, you can and see look little at him name. now though. Oh my gosh. He's a terror. He's a terror, <laughs> you guys. He's so freaking wild. His name is Omar a, Jr., right? Yes. And he's so, a boy and he's everything you can imagine about a little boy. Yeah. So and,
0: we were on a Zoom call the other day pre- <laughs> yes. prepping
1: for our event. He was <laughs>
0: He was jumping around in the background, which is so funny because my, you know, four and a half year old does the same thing. But
1: Oh my gosh, so, it's so
0: cute. But I just want just... to shout out the NICU like nurses and yes. doctors. Just universally. They're so incredible. I mean, it, to, to be able oh to gosh. do that job is just amazing. So Big love to all those people out there.
1: Absolutely, I don't know how they do it, and they perform surgeries in a NICU on these babies. I don't know how they do it.
0: And even the 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 people you meet too, right? Like I've I've talked to a lot of people that are still really good friends with their NICU nurse or the parents that were in there at the same time as them. It's really traumatic
1: bonding experience. Yeah, it definitely is. Some of the nurses that were there when we were there are not there, and it was so crazy because right around halfway point through the NICU journey. I kid you not, there were about four or five nurses that were all pregnant at the same time. Because, you know, when you're around women so much, your cycles are on the same, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of days within each other, then she gets it, then she gets it. They were all right behind each other. It was so wild. And then mm-hmm. one of his doctors was actually pregnant too, with her third baby. So oh, wow. like by the time we left, it was just so wild. They were all pregnant at the same yes. time. Yes. It was yes. just, it was, they were really, really sweet and nice and they were so helpful. And there was a time when my dad went to go see him one day and they let my dad hold him and stuff. It was just, oh, God bless him. Because yeah, angels are telling you.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad it worked out for you. What a story. I know your story is not over yet. Um, <laughs> you know, you because you were saying on Instagram the other day that you were Maybe gonna try again? Is that?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, something you considering? Yes, we don't know when we're gonna start, whether it's the end of the summer, the end of the year, or beginning of 2021. Yeah. We haven't quite figured out everything yet because we're trying to just get the shop rebuilt and find out right. what happens with that first before we do anything else because exactly. that will determine whether we'll be able to do it because we are self pay when we go through IVF. Um, right, yeah. They cover like your testing, but they don't cover the IVF itself. And so, yeah, exactly. what happens with the shot will determine when we try for a second because I want to do it before I'm 40.
0: All right, friends, thank you so much for listening today. And thanks again to Monique for sharing her beautiful story. I just wanted to give you guys a heartfelt thank you for all the support and all the great reviews and ratings on apple podcasts that's a way that really helps us get recognized and the more recognized you are the more downloads you get and the more you know people we can help by hearing these stories so if you haven't yet and you have a minute please go over to apple and rate and review this podcast because it would mean the world to me so thanks so much and i'll talk to you guys next time Okay.